You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Broken records, the albums you wouldn't shut up about. Broken records, the music our guests can't live without. Like Judy, Barbara, Liza, Bet, Betty, Audra, Bernadette. We broadcast this podcast with hopes that someday we might get Patty Welcome to Ben Rimmelauer's Broken Records on Broadway World, Broadway Podcast Network, and Broadway On Demand. I'm Ben Rimmelauer, and I am virtually here with my lovely co-host, Daniel Nolan. Hey, y'all. Um, it's so good to be back here once again, just Ben and me. And today we are quarantining <laughs> streaming our first movie, Jackie's Back. Jackie's back. That, of course, for the couple of um, uninitiated people out there who will hopefully get to experience this wonderful thing for the first time in their lucky lives. And I have to admit, I was one of those people. Oh, I didn't know that. I've never seen. It's a 1991 Lifetime TV movie uh, starring Jennifer Lewis as Jackie, this um, sort of has-been former child star trying to make a comeback. And it's I guess it's a mockumentary yes. covering <laughs> her on that. Co- it's a couple of years. It's 19. Yeah. Did I say 91? Na- it's 99. 99. But it's a few years ahead of the comeback. And so it was very ahead of its time. And um, yes, I, it was, uh, it's very that. I mean, it has huge fans. I mean, I'm sure that... Um, a lot of, for example, uh, Shangela, um, the winner, uh, or not the winner, dra- dra- RuPaul's Drag Race finalist. and, and Should you know, have been the winner of I- All-Stars. Thank you. Uh, icon Shangela would for sure credit this as being a huge influence on her um, personally and professionally and certainly being the reason that she uh, so gravitated toward Jennifer Lewis and you yes. know, then famously became, you know, her mentee and assistant and collaborator and a million things. And there's no way, if you know Shangela and her work, there's no way to watch this without seeing the similarities between Ms. Lewis and Shangela herself. I mean, Jennifer Lewis is, I mean, Shangela, I, I know her more because I, I have seen her on Drag Race and la- perform live. So all the time I'm watching Jackie's back, I'm like, oh, my God, this is so Shangela. When in reality, it's, you know, Shangela, I'm sure, yeah. taking from Jennifer Lewis. But the two are so similar that it just it brought me so much joy. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's, I'm late to the Jackie's back party in a way. Um, I mean, Mm -hmm. I'd seen it before I rewatched it now, but I'd really only seen it for the first time, maybe like four or five years ago. And I I remember when it came out because, um, I would, I guess if it was in the, you know, 99, maybe my, I don't know what I was watching on Lifetime in those days. The only thing I can think is Golden Girls. But I think there, I think there was actually something else then, maybe too, that I watched. But I remember the commercial so well because one of the things that's very noteworthy about Jackie's back is the sort of embarrassment of riches of um, celebrity cameos. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I took a picture of my TV screen because it's just so amazing to see. Uh, 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 Bette Midler, Liza Minnelli listed oh, just together God. in the credits for something in one, you know, uh, card. Um, and, um, but I mean, that that's, you know, Dolly Parton, Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, literally everybody. And um, uh, so anyway, I just remember there being really um, a fabulous uh, commercial for Jackie's Back. Where I you miss commercials, those, those kind of miss, commercials. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great commercial. So I don't know why I didn't watch it. I don't think I knew who Jennifer Lewis was at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the commercial was sort of great because it was kind of like, you know, in the mockumentary style, it seemed like it was these people because they were playing themselves, the Liza's and the Bats and the Dollies. Like they were talking, Diane Carroll, like they were talking about someone real who was actually yeah. making a comeback. And I was like, I don't know who that is, you know? And um, I wonder if it was ahead of its time. I mean, I tend so to think of, of this time. as being like somehow unsuccessful. Um, 
And the fact is, I think as far as a lifetime TV movie goes, it was a huge right. success. It's just that because it's become so influential and you hear about it, I mean, even before Drag Race, I remember uh, my friend Ryan Raftery, um, who's now gone on to be a star uh, doing these um Andy Cohen, the musical, Martha Stewart, the musical, yes. Anna Wintour show, and all these things, so fabulous. But yes, I remember yes. when I first met him, him talking about how influential this was on him and how much he worshipped Jennifer Lewis. And yeah. um, we were both sort of lollygagging on the outskirts of like the Mark Shaman, Scott Whitman kind of like hairspray uh, yeah. <laughs> universe. And um, But Ryan very clearly, like, you know, the person he wanted to get to behind those gates was Jennifer Lewis. Oh my and, God, I love um, that. So that was when I started to be like, oh. And, and then I sort of think I became, I realized, oh, she's from everything. I've seen her in all these movies and a million TV shows, you know, I mean, yeah. and it's, um, I just watched Castaway the other day and she popped up is. at the yeah. end. And I was like, Oh my God, it's Jennifer Lewis. Now, have you read her book, the mother of black Hollywood or listened to the audiobook? I have not. I have not. It, it was so great. I read it. Like, I, I need you know, to listen to it. I yeah. wish I need to listen to because I read it, you know, it was so wonderful that I, I tore it up in like, you know, one evening when it first mm-hmm. came out. And um, I need to go back because um, I'm so curious now, like thinking about Jackie's back, like, you know, what, what this, this thing being produced, really a vehicle for her, tailored made for yeah. her. You know, it, I, I have so many questions and like, I really wish that she had been a writer on it because I think it might've been better if she had been one of the writers. Not that it's badly written, but I think it probably could have well, used more of her. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting um, idea. I feel like the '90s was such a rich time for like uh, star vehicles, you know, like oh, things right. that were tailored for a particular star. Like I just recently read that article that was written. I think it was written in the 2000s, but it was uh, written by Paul Rebnick about his experience writing. Uh, Sister Act, mm. and originally writing it for Bette Midler, and then with all the changes that were made and all this drama in Hollywood, like eventually Bette bowed out and it went to Whoopi. And, you know, in the end, Paul asked that his name not be associated with it because there were so many changes and he felt like it wasn't um, the way he had envisioned it and all that. But it's such a fascinating um, article because it talks about him really trying to craft this story to play to Bette Midler's strengths and, um, you know, uh, 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 so many things on, on Broadway were like that back in the day as well. But I think something like Jackie's back and seeing a star like Jennifer Lewis and something that's so tailor made for her is something that I miss, you know? Yes. And, and it's funny you bring up the comeback because I was seeing so many similarities, of course, between the, this movie and, and the comeback. And obviously this was first and so ahead of its time, but, um, I mean, and by the way, the comeback years later was still ahead of its time. I mean, still ahead of its time didn't get that second season for what was it? 10 years or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And, but like you're saying, uh, Lisa Kudrow, um, helped, uh, write for that show. And so she really had, um, you know, a real connection to the script as well. Well, I mean, I think this is such a relic of the nineties and it's like, you know, and obviously we'll talk in depth about all the nineties, nineties in a minute, but one way that it's very pre the Sopranos, it's very pre sex in the city. It Mm -hmm. feels like a 1990s lifetime TV movie, you know, whereas Lisa Kudrow doing the comeback on HBO was clearly working in the new era of like really highly artistic and, you know, brilliantly produced television. And um, I don't know, I I just wanted to enjoy Jackie's back because I just kept, I was like living for her and loving watching it. And I just keep getting sucked into this negativity of like critiquing it and like wishing it were like, you know, because Jennifer Lewis is so brilliant and she deserves a vehicle produced, you know, with more money behind it and better writing and production values and all that. And it's like, she should have that. And I would like to see that happen. But also too, this does exist. And it was wonderful that it did, you know, because she wasn't a huge star. So it was really cool that she had this, this vehicle, um, and all this power behind her. I mean, um, I was thinking it's such 
a time capsule of like late nineties show business. Like everyone who's in it, Rosie, um, uh, bet Liza, you know, and Liza, which, you know, it was the year after the leading ladies concert, Liza looking the exact same as she did when she was on stage singing some people. Well, Um, she probably filmed this. She probably filmed this around that time. Yeah. 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 Um, That's how I knew. I was like, oh, this must be late 90s because she is that same uh, Yes. Well, we will, get, we will get to Liza. That deserves its own episode. <laughs> totally. But um, yeah, it's such, I mean, all the people who are in this were in our houses all the time. You know, I mean, yeah. I was obsessed with Bette Midler when I was, you know, a late 90s kid. Sure. I well, this watched, was just we a all couple years the Rosie show. Wives Club. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, there's so much to discuss. But um, first off, I have to say, uh, we opened the film with Tim Curry introducing this mockumentary. All, uh, I immediately laugh because he introduces himself as Edward, what's it, St. John, which of I mean, course yeah. is a joke that we love. And that's another thing. I never, you know, Tim Curry was someone who I kind of uh, knew about from like Home Alone. And um, what was what was the other movie he was in? That Not was Annie. Annie, yeah, that's the other one. Annie and Home Alone. Was Rocky never... Horror Show not a thing, like, when you were, no. like, in junior high and stuff? No. I mean, I knew some kids who liked it, but, like, I never watched it until just really a few years ago. I mean, this might blow your, like, Oklahoma in mind, Oklahoma in mind, your Oklahoma mm-hmm. mind. But, yes. um, like, growing up in L.A., like, I mean, I knew a couple of, like, weirdos when I was older who were, like, serious, like, Rocky Horror people. But, yeah. like... When I was 12, like one of the most common 12-year-old birthday parties was that the parents would take like 30 kids to see the Rocky Horror Show. Oh, I love that. Oh my God. I cannot even imagine that. Yeah, Oklahoma. I mean, just the cross-dressing of it all alone would have been too much. You know, it's so funny because because it was so buried in the um, genre of um, like horror Mm-hmm. It like it's, I mean, obviously where I lived was a lot more liberal and progressive than where you did, but mm-hmm. it, you know, it we didn't really experience it like as this like super queer thing. I mean, obviously that's part of the genius is like how it, the queerness like was like planted yeah. in us, you know. Yes, exactly. But, like, I I didn't feel watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show the way I would later feel watching, you know, like out gay characters and things and whatever. Yeah. It was, it was very like in that sort of Adam's family, like they're just weird. It's all just, they're just freak show Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but anyway, but I, but so Tim, but I, I I obviously knew Tim Curry from that and and Annie was so major uh, for me. Um, yeah, I mean, he had a think, bunch like, of other movies, uh, you know, when I was because he was a big movie star in the eighties when I was yes, a kid. That's the, a that's what I was going to say. I don't think I realized what a star he was, you know, back in the day. And I mean, then he came to Broadway, and I mean, he's been on Broadway, I guess, several times. But um, yeah, I just Tim Curry was never someone I really that was on my radar. But watching him in this, I mean, not only is he brilliant, but you know, he's top billed right up there with Jennifer. I, I got so annoyed though watching him last night because like it feels like one of the most wrong notes struck by this piece if you will Mm. (laughs) this piece um Mm -hmm. because like i want it to be like i mean it's i guess it couldn't be because it's from 99 and it's sort of based on like pop culture of like the like 80s and 90s yeah which was before this thing kind of kind of existed but i want it to be somebody more like E newsish, you know. Like I want it to be like, like gay. Well, gay or even a woman, but just someone like young and like American and like like a fast talking, like gum chewing. Like mm. I want it to be more MTV, even not MTV, but like E, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, talk soup or whatever, you know. Um, and it it just feels like the sort of masterpiece theater aspect of him. Um, kind of like bugged me i feel like it like is not helpful to this like task of like telling this story and mm. um and also just like it's you know it's just so it's just so ahead of its time that like some of what it's about hadn't even really happened yet you know right right but i just like i wanted um i don't know well the, the, one of the things that was so weird to me about this and it's part of what i love about jennifer lewis and um 
it's part of what uh, you would never see in 2020 or like 2010 or even like, Mm -hmm. you know, 2002. But like, she's so, it's such a like realistic, like nuts and bolts of showbiz like story. Yeah. Like that she lives in this like non-mansion, like in the valley. I mean, that's where I grew up. That is not Mm -hmm. like the rich neighborhood. It's like very middle class or like slightly upper middle class, you know? And like she, um, you know, she needs the money from the gigs and like, you know, she plays like, what is it? Like a a 1200 seat theater, you know, it's like, I feel like, you know, and by the way, she needs the money, but you don't see her like, like, desperate and like borderline homeless. I feel like something nowadays, the person who needs the comeback would be like in dire straits financially. And the Mm. level that they supposedly had been living on as a supposed star would be like mansion, Mercedes, servants, you know, not just like entendre, can you press my gown? You know, it's like, there's, there's something sort of, um, like humble and like real sized about this because of course, you know, lots of people who work in show business who are famous are not also rich, you know, or even if they're well to do, they're not billionaires or multi, you know, they might be living like on a much more human scale and you never see that anymore. And it's sort of like in a weird way for me and my like fascination with like money and all that, it's like a little like unsatisfying about this. Um, and I think maybe it's part of the reason that it didn't reach a bigger audience is because like on like a comeback story of like a fallen, like has been star, I think people are addicted to the like, you know, dynasty real housewives kind of like grandiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and sometimes even like real housewives and stuff. Um, I mean, you know this better than I, because I think you have some sort of connection to them. I'm not sure, but um <laughs> I, uh, you know, sometimes I feel like that element, that side of it is enhanced even more, you know, sometimes. No, totally. These, these people, people aren't, aren't that jail. rich. Yeah, because yeah. we're faking it. You know, as people do in real Hollywood, and part of what's so inspiring and great about Jennifer Lewis is that whether it's in her book or on her YouTube videos or in interviews or, where, you know, when she's one of the things that got me really re obsessed with Jennifer Lewis a few years ago and which is why I snatched up her memoir when it came out is because there was a speech she gave at a a commencement speech that she gave that went viral on YouTube where she says Mm -hmm. the elevator to success is broken take the stairs yeah and uh, it's a real everybody should watch this it's such an inspiring speech and it's such real talk and but one of the things that's been very consistent in all of her messaging for years and years that is so refreshing and you never hear is that she really and it's a lot of stuff in her book she talks about how important it was for her to buy her house you know and she get, it's very i mean it's the kind of shit i'm obsessed with because it's so nuts and bolts and it's so real life and it's like you know she is somebody who for years and years and years was struggling to make a living in show business, but Mm -hmm. was so talented and so ambitious and so um, resourceful and hardworking and, you know, didn't give up that, you know, she kept herself afloat as she started to build her success, you know, and she talks in the book about the ways that she worked hard to make that last and to keep the roof above her head, you know, and even, you know, even that great, that YouTube series, um, Uh, Jennifer Lewis and Shangela, you just see such a real Mm -hmm. picture of like her life, you know, which is not, even though she has this sort of glamorous, like starry mansion, it's presented in this real way that you see a real person lives there. Like the garbage has to be taken out, you know, things break and need to be fixed. Like she's sitting on a couch that she bought and it's not just like magically replaced next season with something more current, you know, it's like, And I think that's really wonderful about her. So I was trying to like, just like soak that in and enjoy that about this because I mean, well, all right, I guess let's just get into it. But like, well, I guess we kind of are. I mean, I just, um, I took all these notes like in chronological order, but I just, no, but I think that's what you're, what you're saying is, and I have to watch that speech. I have not seen it. But what you're saying is so spot on and people like that. I mean, I immediately, of course, think of Joan Rivers. People like that are so inspiring Mm. and it's so fascinating to hear their story and see how they operate. I mean, she's honestly, she's the opposite of the reality television Trump era that we live in. 
you know, because, and not, not to, I'm not even talking about like Donald Trump president. I'm talking about just like the last, you know, 10 years before he was even in office, you know, this idea of like the mortgage crisis and like people on reality shows, like going to jail for fraud that they committed because they were trying to present a certain lifestyle, you know, and that's a problem that's so common, you know, for so many of us who aren't famous, you know, just wanting to like, have the material stuff on Facebook and Instagram and all that, you know, and Jennifer Lewis is really like someone that is just so real and the success and the wealth that she has is so, uh, grounded. So grounded. And, and it's, and it's based on her work ethic and her knowing that she has something to offer and, um, profiting off of that, uh, you know, the service she provides or whatever. Yeah. It's like, um, like I said, with Joan, I mean, Joan was a, a comedian and a star, but she was also, you know, she had to be a businesswoman and she had to uh, buy everything herself because she took the stairs and yeah. um, she did everything from casinos to her reality show with Melissa, also on Lifetime, to, Fashion you know, police. Fashion police. To every, I mean, I'm sure she would have done our podcast if she was the red carpet. I mean, there's no, the amount of work that Joan generated and, you know, and some of those things were huge successes that, um, so cool because I can literally see her house from where I'm sitting, you know, her, her home, her, the building she lived in. Oh, really? Um, Oh, I love. Um, and, uh, it's like, um, but she also had a lot of flops, you know, and yeah. talk shows and all that shit. And like, you know, and even public um, financial reckonings, you know, after yeah, I mean, husband. all the Johnny Carson stuff, yeah. her husband killing himself. And it's like, it, but it's very Jackie and Jackie's back. You know, she had all these totally. setbacks to, you know, that they're, they're made comical and um, overblown. But it's, uh, this is truly kind of a stick with it showbiz yes, story totally and and it's so I, I love that you said that about joan because it's so true i mean that there's so many like people you can think this is like sort of inspired by story-wise mm-hmm. um you know in the first one when she when they talk about her first hit back in the day being uh yield yes <laughs> it's um it's so stop in the name of love it's yes like ridiculous although it sounds more like a like a jackson five tune yeah um, yeah, yeah. And, um, uh, anyway, uh, but the, oh, the other thing I just kept thinking in terms of like the production values of this, when I just kept reminding myself that it's a, um, lifetime TV movie from the nineties, um, is that just even the sheer quantity of cameos, this mm-hmm. plays almost like a quarantine, like a COVID quarantine, <laughs> like, like telethon, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it really feels, I mean, I, we've got to find out. I believe that some of these cameos were recorded where the star was working on something else and had an hour to give them. Like I'm I'm convinced that Whoopi's entire role in this was filmed in her trailer for some other project. Oh my God. That's so funny. Yeah. What what movie would that, would that have been for her? But like, why would the sister Ethel, who's like a poor or like working class registered nurse why would she have a mahogany wet bar with like three fancy blenders and nothing else behind her yeah yeah that is so not a set anybody like designed for this moment you know yeah yeah and i feel like there's a lot that's like that in it um so i i don't know it made me feel like somebody should write jennifer lewis like a sequel and she should write it uh or shangela yeah and like and they should just, and they could totally film it now, you know? Oh my God, that would be brilliant. Yeah. I also would love, because um, there are a lot of songs in this. I was like, I would love to see, uh, I don't know if Shangela can sing, but I was like, I would love to see Shangela star in like a musical production totally, of this. Totally, totally. I mean, um, uh, Jennifer, of course, has such a sensational voice. I mean, uh, oh, I mean, so good. You can understand why Michael Bennett chose Jennifer Holiday for Dreamgirls instead. Yes, but, but she was in the workshop, right? But, she, but yeah, but I mean, but short of like that, which is like, you know, up there with like the yeah. absolute greatest, you know, vocal performances in history, you know, 
Um, short of that, Jennifer really sings her face off. I mean, when I love when, uh, well, she makes the same Shirley Bassey joke that we loved so much in her 54 Below show. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. I was, there were so many jokes and moments in this movie that I was like, oh, that's where that came from. Yeah. Totally. Or I was like, is this where that came from? Like when she, at the beginning, when she says, I was, I was at Tarjay. I was like, is this where Tarjay came from? Or I wonder, she just that's a good question. That? I didn't even notice it. But she, um, uh, but the other thing I was going to say is she, but she does have a Shirley Bassey quality to her voice. It's so powerful and steely, yeah. almost like, steely. like a, like a, like a tenor or something, you know? I mean, she, yeah. I'll tell you of all the, maybe every female singer I've ever heard, she really sings like a man. Like yeah. she is all chest voice. I mean, except all for chest. maybe like B Arthur, like, you know, um, but you know, but B Arthur sings like a man and sings in a man's vocal range. But yeah, I mean, and Jennifer not, is a powerhouse alto. Yeah. I mean, she sings gospel too, you know, but it's have like much vocal power. It's all, it's all gravel. Yeah. Well, you know, well, the other example I would say would be like Elaine Stritch who's pure gravel, yeah, especially pure here. Gravel. But I mean, Jennifer really like, it's a big old belting alto, but it is just yeah. chest voice. Um, Chesty, honey. And um, I'm really obsessed with that last uh, way she ends the song, Look at Me, which you get to hear her do in the right near the beginning and then again at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, where she like, she hits that like big note on that rich E vowel. And then she's like, she's like, me, oh. I'm not singing it right, but she like slides down to three notes, like for the end of the chord. And it's, and it's like, cause the me is that me. And then she gets to open up into the vibrato, just, just adding like an ah, without, yeah, um, yeah. but without she taking knows. a breath, you know? Yeah. Um, she knows how to work it. I mean, this, I, I need an album of this, you know? Yeah, me too. Um, I'm surprised this never had a life on the stage. I mean, because, you know, it's Mark Shaman, uh, who, of course... But Mark Shaman, I don't think he wrote the music. Like, he collaborated on the lyrics, and I think he might have done some of the arrangements. We can find out. But it, it was hard to, like... Like, I, like, had to, like, freeze. Like, the IMDb stuff is incomplete, so I, like, froze mm. the screen so I could, like, take a, a screen grab of the... Um, credits as they were rolling so I could read them fast enough, you know? It says music and lyrics by Mark Shaman. For what? For what? Jackie's Back. Oh, on IMDb, that's his whole credit? Well, it's on his website, markshaman.com. It says Jackie's Back. So maybe there's something fucked up with how he was built. Because on the credits of the movie, it doesn't say that. It says no credit for music, and it says lyrics as a collaboration between um, Mark and somebody else. And Jennifer Lewis. Oh, really? I thought yeah. I saw music. Because I made a note of it. Music by Mark Shaman. Oh, well. Um, but Mark's going to get all pissed if we get it wrong. Wait, do I still have the thing I saved? It says, music consultant Jackie Frost, and uh, Jackie Crossed, and then lyrics to musical compositions by Mark Alton Brown, who wrote the script, Jennifer Lewis, and Mark Shaman. Maybe there was another credit for music that I missed that was like on a separate thing. Um, anyway, well, I'm glad to hear that because the Mark Shaman score, we have a much better shot of getting like a proper uh, performance. But that, but that also goes back to the fact that it was a lifetime TV movie and it didn't really come into its own legend until more recent times, you know? Yes. Um, it's and like there was no DVD for years, you know, that is also very recent. So, okay, so uh, we're talking oh, about... Speaking you know, of men and, you know, uh, playing women that sing like men, I was obsessed. I never, I didn't realize this the first time I watched it, but I knew that the actor that plays Kim, her trans um, costume designer, was so familiar to me. And um, can you picture him? Yes. He's so distinctive looking and sounding, right? Um, that His name is Lauren Freeman. And he um, was not the original off-Broadway star of the musical Ruthless, but he was the original LA star. And the LA cast is the one that's on the album. Mm. Um, that's why I knew his voice so well. Um, and by the way, Ruthless is a great musical. Coincidentally, score by uh, music by Marvin Laird, who is Bernadette Peters musical director all these years, who we were just talking about last week. Oh, right. Um, anyway, but uh, and and there's a uh, con- benefit concert they did of Ruthless once with Bernadette as um, 
Judy Denmark slash Ginger Del Marco, uh, uh, the part that Joan Ryan played on the album from the LA cast. But um, so there's videos on YouTube of Bernadette playing that amazing role. Um, mm-hmm. Soprano and Belter. But so anyway, I recognize Lauren Freeman. I was so excited. Um, uh, and uh, oh, there is a B. Arthur joke in addition to a... Um, <laughs> in addition to the Shirley Bassey joke that cracked me up. Yeah, they really they really name dropped B. Arthur a lot. I wonder if she was someone they tried to get and she was B was just too busy. I mean, I just thought it was funny too because it was like Ella what is it? It's it's Ella, Billy, Shirley, Shirley Bassey. Bassey. I love that she gets Shirley needs the last name. And then um the people that have stolen from her are Whitney, Aretha, Lil Brandy. <laughs> And um, uh, who was at the height of her success with Moesha yes. at the time. And like, and I guess this was after um, the, the Brandy, Whitney, Cinderella, Brandy, Whitney, Bernadette, Cinderella. Yes. And, um, but then uh, she says, um, uh, and B. Arthur. And I, that was just such a great punchline to me that like, that's not who you think number like four. Right, right, right. They've <laughs> um, um, seen okay. David had Pierce as her pianist. I have to say, first of all, he was adorable. Um, But it really made me wish that she had been one of the dollies on Broadway. That seems like a, I mean, I know she played the part in Seattle like 15 years ago or something, but it seems to me a real like fail that like, I mean, I guess was Blackish not big yet when No, it definitely was. Maybe, I mean, I'm surprised. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was, I was saying I'm surprised they didn't offer it to her, at least on tour, but maybe they did. Who knows? Yeah, I'm sure she didn't want to schlep around like that. Um, yeah. But I, I did know, Maybe watch, not. She works hard. Maybe it didn't work I, out. I mean, she had a TV show. I did watch footage of her doing it in Seattle, and I mean, it was pretty fabulous. I got to watch it. I, I got to watch it. Uh, I mean, there's just small, small clips, but... How um, funny are those photos of her... Um, with the stars when they're talking about all her different projects and all her different headlines and like the one of her with Jackie Mason. I mean, the sense of humor is just so, it's just so um, like just crass and hilarious. I mean, like the deadly yes. Afro pick is like, ah. Yeah, I mean, but you know I live for all of that. Yeah. Um, oh speaking of crass and hilarious, um, another guest star I fucking love is... Um, uh, Penny Marshall. Oh my God. Serving yes, oh, like right. straight up like nineties Barbara hair. Yes. Um, and the thing I love about Penny Marshall is that she, the way she talks, it's like she moves her mouth with as little effort as possible. It's like, oh, she right. wants to get every word out, just eking by on like the most minimal amount of physical movement. <laughs> I mean, I honestly feel like she copied Rosie O'Donnell's impression of her. Yeah. Do you remember when they were like in those Kmart commercials? Oh my God. Back in I, the day, I live, live for this. it. Live. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the friendship of Rosie O'Donnell and Penny Marshall is the number one duo that I would like. That's the, that's the, that's the thruple that I want to be the third in. You know what the I want to be the third in is Penny Marshall and Carrie Fisher. Oh yeah, that goes because they were also BFF. Yeah, but um, I mean that's another thing that I feel like. I mean we still get it nowadays, like these kind of duos. But I mean not to that level. I mean where they're literally, uh, you know, doing Kmart commercials and. um, Well, Daniel, here's hoping. I know if you're listening, Kmart. Um, I just went to your location and asked her place the other day looking for some hand sanny. <laughs> did you find um, any? I did not, unfortunately. But like I said, Rosie, Liza, um, we also get a Kathy Griffin appearance. Which, oh, and like what her was she doing? Face. Yeah, her old face. It's what when was she, she was on that time? sitcom. Suddenly Susan? Yeah, or maybe it had just ended. With Brooke, with Brooke Shields. Um, yeah, that was so surprising to me because when I started watching it, Kathy popped up and I was like, oh, wait, is this like 2000s, 2010s? And then I was like, no, this has to be 90s. And I guess I didn't realize that Kathy was famous back then. I mean, I knew she was on the TV show, but 
Well, she was, like, I remember being aware of her stand-up just, you know, as just, like, one of many, like, stand-up comedians. That yeah, I guess there. I saw her a lot on that show. Oh, God, what's that show, um, Whose Line Is It Anyway, with Drew Carey? Oh, my God, hilarious. Um, I loved it. Speaking of basic cable. Um, mm-hmm. Also, like, Coco, like, her big, um, that's her flop, right? That her, the character yeah. Jackie's yeah, flop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm obsessed with Coco. Coco's obsessed with Coco. And um, I knew that song somehow. I feel like maybe when Jennifer was on RuPaul's podcast, maybe she did an impromptu rendition of that. Oh yeah, song I, I knew that I to live. I, I was so <laughs> into that. Um, I love when the, what's the line they say? They, um, you know how you hear people say you'll never work in this town again with Jackie? They would say you'll never work in this country again. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh okay, Liza. Um, oh god. Okay, first of all. Did you notice Liza is the only person in the whole thing where they had to do an edit? What do you know? What do you mean? Like all these cameos are like in one shot and like Liza, there actually is like like a cut. Yeah. Like she didn't get it. And, and then, and it's also funny because then they have the joke of cutting out on her when she's like, I don't know much about the African thing. It's oh like, yes, yes, yes. I did. I did notice that, but I thought that was just for joke effect. No, I think so, probably. But it is weird how like there was another cut that was like not intentional. Well, um, I have to say about Liza. Sh- out of all of these guest cameo uh, talking heads, Liza Liza's acting is like so good. I mean, all of them, like Dolly and a little Bet, you can tell it's kind of like. They're just trying, you know, trying to do oh, this. Yeah. They're, no, they're, that's they're, that's like they're terrible like in her class. Reading the words <laughs> off the teleprompter. That doesn't seem at all like Bette Midler. <laughs> Except I mean, Bette, Bette, I mean, she looks fabulous. I will she give looks her that. Fabulous, and she does her little Bette expressions. But yeah, bad. But Liza's no, like, is like a monologue. I mean, no, Liza's is like heart wrenching. Like I, feel I don't like even I think I'm so not convinced. Emotions. I don't believe for sure that Liza knew it was a script. Like I don't think Liza, uh-huh. like Liza, might have thought there really was a Jack. There really was and a Jack. Just like bullshitted. She was like, "Oh yeah, like it's so much of your. It's so like your story." I was uh, just gonna say, yeah, it's like Liza just as like acting like she is uh, just um, faking it, you know? Yeah. Um, she just lies. She just anyway, um, but Liza, I truly felt like it was so nuanced and like I could really see the wheels turning in her head. Like as she was saying all this stuff, I was like, yeah. wow, like Liza's really, really believing this. Speaking of um, acting though, I just have to say like just Jennifer, like it, I think part of the reason I was getting like frustrated wishing that as good as this is, that it were like better that it were like hbo quality is because jennifer is just so good like every time they give her any moment to play there's like 17 layers to it you know yeah i mean she like i feel like she's gonna win an academy award someday because Mm -hmm. like she is just as good as it gets i mean you know she's a fabulous singer, you know, and maybe she's not on the Jennifer holiday level of like star, like once in a generation vocalist, but she's a fucking like restaurant quality singer, you know, all the way. But as an actor, she is that level of star, you know, even, even, even if you put aside what a great force she is in Hollywood and what a great, um, you know, um, uh, talker, raconteur, and and all that. Like, just as an actor in a character in a piece, she is, you know, up there with Meryl Streep and, um, you know, Viola Davis or whoever. Well, and it's, I think, something I always think about Jennifer is that she puts specific energy into everything she does, every line she reads, every move she makes, and there's such intention in every choice. and, And there's such force behind it that yeah. it really, um, yeah, it just, it transcends, you know, it's like they say about Elizabeth Taylor. It's like, there's some sort of vibrational frequency that occurs between her and like totally. the lens of the camera. It, it's funny. It made me think of Patty in a way, because, you know, people complain sometimes like, oh, Patty's so Patty and all these different performances. But, mm-hmm. but that's what I love about her. Like, I wish Patty was more of that, you know, like what I think is wonderful about Jennifer Lewis is that she brings her whole self into the role. Yes. And like, that's what I'm most into when you just feel like, 
the entire humanity of the actor is like completely absorbed into the character. Yes. Um, on the opposite end of the acting spectrum, Isabel Sanford. Do you Wait, know who that is? That? Mm-hmm. She was Wheezy Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just obsessed with her. She plays the, is it a teacher? Yeah. That Jennifer, like that won't talk to her. Oh Who's yeah. Like mad at her. Um, which is, who's the one that, um, Mary Wilson, is she in this? Does she yes, play oh my God, yeah, totally. Which one is, who does she play? She played, um, maybe she was, right, let me look that. Was she, oh, was she one of, was she the grown-up version of one of the singers that she started Wait. out with? Uh, Vesta Crotchley. Oh, no, no, oh, Isabel no, Sanford wasn't her. grade teacher. Oh, she was the teacher. Oh, yeah, she Isabel was Sanford teacher. was her play mama. Oh yes, Mrs. Mrs. Crooms, the play yes. mama. Yes. yes. Oh my god, I love that part. I have to say though, maybe my favorite performance of any of these people in the whole cast is Loretta Devine as her childhood friend, Nikki Tate. Oh my I god, mean, the hair. She is delicious. Delicious, delicious. Um, oh my god, who else? the other person I love is? Um, I mean, just an embarrassment of riches, like you said, Kathy to Jimmy is like the weird, like stalker in the coco cosplay outfit it's too much too, too much. much hilarious another kathy and jimmy another like what was i watching oh i was watching the other day i was watching jeffrey and you know kathy plays that hilarious in the um, oprah like, scene audience. where marianne williamson it's the granny weaver yeah yes yes <laughs> so good oh my god that um, movie is i mean I understand that Jeffrey wasn't successful in terms of like how it functioned as a motion picture. And there were things that were, you know, maybe like very messagey about the play that were fine off Broadway in the nineties. that didn't translate on the big screen. That said, Paul Rudnick's fabulous comedy for just the best punchlines maybe ever for all those crazy characters are so, I mean, it makes you appreciate how brilliant Harriet Harris was in the original mm-hmm. off-Broadway production because the characters in Jeffrey that Kathleen and Jimmy played, that um, Sigourney Weaver played, that uh, Olympia Dukakis played, that Deborah mm-hmm. Monk played, that um, uh, I've, now I'm like forgetting. There's so many like amazing cameos. They're all they were all played on that level of good and at that level specific by Harriet Harris. Um, I love her, but but yeah, they're really astonishing performances, including Kathleen and Jimmy. Um, I, and, uh, I guess she just wasn't that, um, famous yet that she could still do, you know. Yeah. Did you know, uh, RuPaul talks about, uh, knowing Kathy way back in the day, like they met at some club, I think in California, he said he would go to this dance club and he would always see Kathy there. And, uh, she would, you know, she was this, uh, straight girl at this gay club and they would always dance together. And it was before either of them were famous. And um, they still talk about that. And they're still friends. And Kathy's the one who uh, got Bob the Drag Queen on Drag Race. Oh, wow. she saw him. she saw him perform on like a cruise or something and called RuPaul. And I think she might have even had Bob there and like called RuPaul and had Bob talk to Ru on the phone. Amazing. And was like, I found, I found the next winner of your show. When I um, did Patty Issues at the Adelaide Cabaret Festival, um, mm-hmm. one of the headliners was Kathy doing um, what was then, like, suppose, I guess, like an early developmental performance of this one woman show she has that's actually kind of similar to Patty Issues, but it's um, about her relationship with Bette Midler. Wait, 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 wait. What is it? Is it favorable? What is it about? Yeah, I mean, it's like she, it's her one woman show. By the way, Brian Nash, our friend, friend of the pod, is the musical director and collaborator on it. Um, And it's uh, her story about growing up uh, obsessed with Bette Midler and then getting to become a big star and getting to work with Bette Midler. Work with her. Wow. I had no idea. I I have to get you you will love it you will love it It i was just telling someone i i don't i've always wondered about their relationship because for some reason i have it in my head that like bet and kathy don't get along and that's totally just 
made up in my mind. Maybe maybe it's true. I mean, I don't, I don't recall that being a part of the story that she told, you know? Okay. Um, I I don't know. I, I guess for some reason, like whenever Bet is talking about Hocus Pocus on Twitter, I feel like she always mentions like Sarah Jessica, but never Kathy. And so for some reason I've created this narrative in my mind wherein Bet and uh, Kathy just aren't friends or whatever, but that's so fascinating that she had an actual show about her. Yeah, no, I mean, I would say it was less about Bet than Patty issues. It's about Patty, but like not that much less, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. Um, I have to say, no, maybe it was even more because like the, whatever it it was a lot. It was very Bet Midler focused. Um, That that makes me love Kathy even more. Oh yeah. She's also like a fan. You would really Um, love it. Um, oh, I also, so, speaking of Bet, uh, the character Jackie's, like, 1970s, like, smooth, like, disco ballad. I, I love, I'm obsessed with all the songs that, like, they reference from her career that you don't get to fully see. Like, when we do a yeah. Broadway musical of it, I want all those things fleshed out. What but, is, um, my favorite is, um, Work in My Last Nerve. How le- funny, I would have thought your favorite would be Love Goddess because it felt very Thighs and Whispers to me. Oh, well, I don't even know. Like, I just mean, like, the title. Like, I thought Working on My Last Nerve was, like, a hilarious title. Um, yeah, to- it is a great title. But, yeah, but so like, Love, Love Goddess, Goddess I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, so from Thighs and Whispers. Yes, very that, very that. Um, um, I also love... Uh, other guest stars uh well bruce valanche makes like a one-time appearance and then uh julie haggerty as uh pammy dunbar i can't read my writing pammy dunbar hysterical i'm always happy to see julie haggerty i mean speaking of i mean she's someone i grew up with i'm sure we all did as iconic in airplane airplane yes yeah yeah what was she in the other day the other day what was she in that i watched recently um uh Oh, 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 um, Marriage Story with uh, Scar Joe. She was like, oh, yes. Mom, I totally, think. Totally. So good. Happy to see that. Um, I mean, there, I wrote down so many just like crazy comedy details from this that are just like, like when she says it was handmade by Orthodox Jews in the Amazon. Yeah. So good. <laughs> um, I bet he she was getting Liza's Oscar. That's totally. The salmon patties from a vending machine. Yeah, he got sick. Um, she has a voice like chicken fat, <laughs> like schmaltz. <laughs> oh my God, though. Um, Patty Austin as the gospel singer was thrilling. Um, you, do you recognize, do you know her from stuff? No. She's like, um, she's like a, I guess like a R&B singer, like from the 80s. Like she had, she had that song, like that duet with like, is it Michael McDonald? I think it's like on my own. I always would get annoyed in karaoke in the 90s because I'd want to sing the Les Mis song and it would be that. Um, There's another one she had that was also really big, but also she was like a jingle singer. Like she's the one that like goes like, bye Menon. (laughs) Do you remember that? Wow. That's a a big credit. (laughs) She's a big star. I mean, it's kind of crazy that she's in this, in that role. Um, Oh, I also, I made a note to ask you when Donna Pascal plays her obsessed fan, Yes. Do you Wait, know she... her from anything? No, but which one? Which one was she? Was she the bus driver? Um, God, no, Wait. I can't remember. I was too busy writing damn notes. <laughs> oh, I can't remember which which fan she played, but I did love. There was that uh, one who said she was a bus driver, and I. Loved I think that's her. But, so she's like, um, like. I guess she had this show in the 70s called Angie where Doris Roberts played her mother. It was like a sitcom. Love. That was there was reruns of that when I was growing up and then in the night when I was growing up in the 80s we'd watch reruns of Angie from the 70s. But then in the 90s she was the mom on Out of This World about that girl with like the not Out of This World. Is that what I mean? Does that ring a bell for you Out of This World? Mm-hmm. Yeah, out of this world. And, like, her teenage daughter was mostly the focus, and she had, like, magic, like, powers, or she was an alien or something. And Doris Roberts played Angie, played Donna Pascal's mom again. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I think Donna Pascal is the woman in Saturday Night Fever. Oh, yes, yes. I, I just saw that on her credits. Yes, that's right. 
Yeah, I, I should have started with that. It just shows how I'm a child of the 80s and not the 70s. Hot. But um, I love this fan moment. There's Lori, the school bus driver, and then there's Doris, who thinks she's seeing Liza, but she's not. Oh, my God, that was crazy. It felt so much like that bit before Barbara Streisand, the concert, where they're interviewing all the fans who have come from, like, miles around to see Barbara. Yeah. But Barbara didn't include the final edit where somebody thought she was Liza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she cut that part. Um, I... Uh, Oh my God, I can't believe it's taken us this long to say this. This is like the most me slash us, but like mostly me thing that ever happened. Wait, are you I, talking about the chart of divas? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that down too. The seating chart for divas in heaven. Yes, Anthony. I was like, I made a note of that too. I was like, this is something that we would do on the pod. I mean, this we actually need to start doing it as oh an gosh. homage to Jackie's back, you know, and like literally. Have to. Um, but what, it couldn't, but like, it's basically it, my diva ranking. Yeah, I mean, it could be... I mean, I guess if it's in heaven, it's all dead divas. But, like, I feel like it should be, like, a seating chart of, like, a, a dinner party or, like... But it wasn't... Uh, a, it wasn't a, but it was God on top. And then there was just levels down. And there was two people oh my at God, each it's, level. It's so, like, Dante. Yeah, totally. um, Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, we have to figure out something to do with this because, I mean, Anthony really nailed it. The other thing I really want to steal from this is the um, when Antoine takes over as her manager and she negotiates the time. And they're like, you have to yes, get out of here in yes. five minutes. Make it seven and we have a deal. So good. <laughs> I really want to start doing that. Um, I have to say, okay, I love the ending of the way this movie ends so fucking much. Like... I tend to get like all like feel a certain type of way, <laughs> certain type of way about mm-hmm. like contrived things in plots, you know? Yeah. And, um, and this movie plays like the kind of movie where you can expect lots of those kind of contrived things to happen. Mm-hmm. But I think like her winding up doing the concert on like the fire exit at the back of the theater is so organic and such the perfect ending. That's when I really yes. started thinking this could be adapted to be like a real piece because this actually does like have a really powerful, like perfect button to it. Mm-hmm. And not to mention it's so Sunset Boulevard on that staircase. It's like, yeah, oh, that's so true. I'm just like, I, I like was so happy and satisfied at the end. It's also very the comeback at the end of season one, you know, where she exits and there's all those people like applauding for her and asking for her autograph and she feels like a star. Oh, totally, totally. Um, and that's, you know, like we said, it's really a story about showbiz, like stick with itness, which is very uh, Norma Desmond, Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, it's, it's a funny, that's a funny spin on Sunset, but you're right. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking several times in this, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I want to see Jennifer Lewis as Dolly, obvi, but I also would love to see Jennifer as uh, Norma Desmond. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, and then I love, it. I love at the end when it gives all the, um, uh, the little you know, so and so is doing this, so and so is doing yeah. this, and then it says Jackie is currently doing her nails. <laughs> oh, just, the, just the tragedy of show business. But um, yeah, I mean, I have to say, I'm. I mean, you suggested this and I'm so grateful because now I have this under my belt in like my diva pop culture library of knowledge. And I feel like I am, I have been changed. (laughs) Me too. I mean, I happen to have watched this um, a couple years ago, but I feel like um, now I'm really like, I, I like, I, 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 I'm like not letting this go, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's such a good um, it's it's such a good not lesson, but it's it's so fascinating because this is something that is so original. You know, this now it's been done so much, but back in the late '90s, the idea of like this mockumentary about a star and then using all of these other huge real stars to like fill in the mm. the cast and, and have these uh, cameos. It's something that takes so much creativity and work, but also commitment from all these people. You know, the fact that Dolly Parton, Bette Midler, Liza were all like, sure, we'll do it. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's something that I feel like now we're seeing a little bit more of with 
the quarantine stuff, all these celebrities kind of banding together to do these videos for charity or fundraising. The fact that this was like a lifetime movie, TV movie, and all of these huge A-list stars kind of banded together to create this like comedic fluff, but ultimately like really fun and inspiring piece was, I don't know, it's just really like fascinating to look at from like a research pop culture standpoint. Totally. It so is. I mean, when you have the celebrities doing cameos as themselves, it makes the whole thing seem real. I mean, literally, when I was, you know, 23 and this came out, like, I thought it was a true story about someone I'd never heard of, you know? Yeah. So did Liza. Um, <laughs> so did Liza. She still thinks that. Um, and uh, it's also like, um, in a way, it's kind of what it's about, you know, the fact that like the celebrities conferring realness upon it, like has so much power and value to us. Um, mm-hmm. When in fact the celebrities are on some level, they're the least real thing, you know? Yeah. But we, but we, but they're most real to, to us as an audience or as a fan. And, um, and, but also there's like this like meta level that you're like, if Bette Midler and Dolly Parton and Whoopi Goldberg were willing to give their time to the, you know, they didn't get paid $2 million by Lifetime TV to make this. Yeah, you know? exactly. So clearly they think Jennifer Lewis is so fabulous and important that they yeah. are on board, whatever she's doing, you know? Yeah. Oh, and we have to mention, I mean, uh, Jennifer obviously was, one of the original backup dancers for Bet back in the day. So they obviously had a previous relationship. So Bet yes. loved her. Sure. Yeah. Talk about how people maintain their relationship with Bet. Obviously she and Jennifer Lewis, I think it was like in the early eighties, maybe when she was a harlot. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, it's no secret that Bet is sometimes a little difficult and a little bit of a diva. So the fact that these two star um, actresses have maintained a friendship says a lot about their professionalism. Yeah. But, you know, it's also about defined roles. I mean, I think it's like, you know, Bette was already a big star and Jennifer Lewis was not famous yet. And Jennifer Lewis played um, a very, you know, she was literally a backup singer, backup dancer to Bette. And so everybody knew what their role was, you know? Mm, Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think, you know, when something is really defined and the boundaries are really clear that's when you're less likely to have issues, you know? I mean, some people are just a hot mess and they can't function in any context, but I think like more generally speaking, like it's like the gray areas where people get like friction. Yeah. Well, um, this was uh, very, I'm very happy that we uh, dove into this because it really, it was a bright spot and it, it cheered me up in my my sadness being home from Fire Island and back in like Manhattan and all I that. know. Yeah. We should tell the listeners we, um, I mean, I guess if some of them have watched our live stream, they know, but um, we, last week we were in Fire Island. We did not, I've had to tell so many people, mostly on the apps, that I did not partake in any of the um, tomfoolery. Yes, as we talked about um, on the live stream too, you know, bears repeating. We're shut up in the house watching Marilyn May and Bernadette Peters on YouTube. And not for nothing. COVID aside, there was no way that you and I would have been at a rave in the meat rack at any other time either. I mean, that is not my thing on, yeah, the healthiest of of days. But like, yes. Anyway, but um, so, you know, we had a fabulous time out on the beach and um, on Fire Island. And so coming back uh, these this past weekend was was difficult. But this definitely but brought a bright spot to my life that was much needed. And um, I will say the other bright spot I've had um, the last few days adjusting to being back from Fire Island was that I got HBO Max. Um, oh, I need, how is that? I need to. I'm so into it. So, well, I was a huge fan of the series Search Party. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've talked about it and... Um, uh, John Early uh, and Jeffrey Self, friends of the pod, are on it. Um, 
And, uh, but on the, so their season three is now produced by HBO Max. It had been on TBS in the past. Mm. Um, and I, I was so excited to watch season three. And so I watched, I binged it the other day. It was so fantastic. And our most recent guest, Cola Scola, has a role on the new season oh, too. Oh, really? Yeah. And, oh, fabulous. Um, and it's so good. I mean, it's, I just, this show is so fantastic. And, and the past guest, Drew Drogi. Drew Drogi and Sam and, Pancake. Uh, Friend of the pod, Sam they're Pancake. so we, good on it. That scene. We have to get on the pod. Yes, we do. The scene with Drew and Sam and Jeffrey and John is so freaking hilarious. It is, they, they are all four such geniuses and they're yes. so complimentary to each other. And they're, it's a really great scene. Um, and anyway, the whole, the whole series, everybody should watch Search Party. And the other thing I binged on, um, uh, HBO Max. I didn't even know about this, but there's a three episode docu series um, called "Expecting Amy," chronicling Amy Schumer's pregnancy. Oh, oh yes, I have to watch this. It's so I enjoyable, love- and an- another podcast guest is in it. Of course, Bridget Everett. Um, actually, Bridget John Early's Everett. in it too. He was, um, I guess, he performed Amy Schumer's wedding. I didn't even know that. I mean, I knew that Bridget oh, sang yeah. at it, but he was like the efficient, efficient. Um, Anyway, but it's a great series. I laughed and cried and cheered. Oh my God, I, I have to watch that because I love Amy and Bridget's podcast on Spotify. And um, I feel like maybe it was filmed in the same time because a lot of the podcasts, you know, it's like Amy, like throwing up on oh, the mic. Totally. You know? Yeah, no, they show a lot of the scenes are uh, Amy and Bridget and the other um, pod. Uh, hosts and guests because uh, yeah. they film it at Amy's apartment, which, by the way, is the yeah. ultimate real estate porn. You know that I'm obsessed right now. My dream—I've decided my dream place to live in New York would be a fabulous apartment on Riverside Drive, overlooking the Hudson. Um, oh, yes. And uh, Amy has like the ultimate, like you know, ranch house in the sky uh, mansion mm-hmm. on top of an apartment building penthouse on Riverside Drive, and it's so fun to watch. Fabulous. Well, the good news is that people are like rapidly leaving the city. So who knows? Maybe no, it'll be go to think. Yeah, I don't think um, it'll be my range. Um, this morning, I watched uh, the best movie. I think my favorite movie of 2000. What is it? 2020. 2020. And um, uh, on Hulu, that new movie, Palm Springs, mm. with um, uh, my boyfriend, my husband. Um, what's his name? Uh, 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 <laughs> I cannot believe I can't think of it. Uh, with Saturday Night Live uh, star uh, Andy Samberg. Mm. Uh, Palm Springs. It's it's kind of like a Groundhog Day-esque. Oh, I'm psyched. Plot where, like, You're like they... weirdly all about Palm Springs right now. Oh, totally. Like I'm after watching it, especially I'm like trying to find a way to get there. Although I've heard <laughs> it's like really hot in the summer. You don't want to go but, to Palm Springs, uh, but you, although it's very cheap, but you were, you were saying last week that you want to go to Palm Springs. Yes. Cause I've never been. And I was, but you uh, haven't been to lots of places. What made Palm Springs your focus? Well, because I love just the style of it all. And, mm. and just the, um, I mean, that aesthetic is so pleasing to yeah. me. Oh, and no, this, I love Palm Springs. I like, and the movie there, but yeah, I mean, the art direction in this movie is like, I mean, talk about real estate porn. I mean, the house, the pools, mm all the decor, the plants, the outfits, the desert. I mean, it's so, um, it just captures what I imagine Palm Springs is like so very well. But it's also the movie, it's, um, you know, every year there's one movie that really stands out for me above all the rest because of its originality, its heart. It's wow. um, Oh my God, I'm going to watch this tonight. Most of the time, it's like a smaller budget movie. Like last year for me, that movie was Can You Ever Forgive Me? Mm, um, the year before that, I loved that movie, The Florida Project. Uh, what is that? It's fabulous. You have to go see it. It's um, The Florida Project. It was by the guy who did that movie, Tangerine. Oh, I love Tangerine. Oh yeah. my God. I watched that like five times. Yeah. The Florida Project is even better. And Okay. Tonight, I'm watching The Florida Project and Palm Springs. I'm so yes, excited. Palm Springs is my favorite movie of the year so far. And even though it's been like a weird year, um, it's so nice that we have these really brilliant 
films being available to us on on streaming. Andy right, Samberg so, is like my new number one crush, oh, by the way. He's amazing and so hot. All right, so everybody watch Jackie's Back. You can find it on YouTube and it is available in the Broken Records Corn Streams playlist. And you should also get HBO Max and watch Expecting Amy and Search Party Season 3 or start from the beginning. And you should also watch Palm Springs and... Fuck me. Flor- the Florida Project? Is that what it's called? The Florida Project, yeah. The Florida Project. Um, and um, we'll be back with And oh, tune oh. in to our live streams yes, on Tuesday and Thursday on Broadway Podcast Network YouTube and Broadway World Facebook page. Tuesday, Thursday, April, August. Time knows everything. everything. <laughs> Time knows everything. Mm. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I totally buried the lead. I can't believe I didn't tell you this at the top of the pod. I have been recognized now twice on Grinder because of our live stream. Shut up. Yeah. People like someone slid into my um, not even my DMs. He just slid in on on Grinder uh, yesterday and was like, "I'll be wearing ribbons down my back this summer." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh, good for you." I was like, "How did you know a Hello Dolly reference was the way to my heart?" And he was like, "Oh, I've watched you on Tuesday, Thursday." And I was oh like, God. "Oh, yes." That so you know, so if insane. anything, if anything, the um, the live stream is has maybe getting me a date. All right, so so Daniel's getting laid, and um, no, I'm, I'm not getting, getting laid because I'm I'm not leaving the house. But well, you're going to get laid, and I'm, I'm planting the seeds, so to speak. So keep 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 hope alive for Daniel, and tune in on Tuesdays and Thursdays. All right, bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to Ben Rimmelauer's Broken Records on Broadway World. For more episodes, visit Broadway World, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts do be. <laughs> and be sure to check out our new twice-weekly live stream video chat, Tuesday, Thursday, April, August. This episode was edited by me, Daniel Nolan. Thanks to Emmy-winning composer and lyricist Lance Horn for the Broken Records theme song. Follow us both, Ben Rimmelauer and Daniel Nolan, on all y'all's socials. That's Ben Rimmelauer. B-E-N... R-I-M-A-L-O-W-E-R. And that's Nolan with an E, not Nolan with an A. Because Nolan with an A is an ass. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists. What they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.